I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. And I was like, no way. Frozen food is actually richer in nutrient content than the stuff that you buy in the grocery store. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, Daily Harvest founder and CEO Rachel Drory explains the ethos behind her company's claim that we take care of food so food can take care of you. Daily Harvest partners with farmers who grow the freshest food, freezes everything to lock in nutrition at its peak, crafts recipes, and delivers to your door for a no-fuss meal. We're tricking ourselves into thinking that, oh, we're eating more plants. I'm like, well, guess what? Wheat is a plant. We know that refined white flour is not good for us. So why do you think that hyper-refined cauliflower is any different? Do you know how processed that is? Find out how Rachel's formative years paved the eventual way to her own nutritional food line, how making smoothies turned into a much bigger business, and why Daily Harvest is better for you than you think. Unfinished Biz starts now. Rob, if five years ago I said, we're going to invest in a direct-to-consumer frozen foods business, what do you think you would have said? I think I would have said hard pass, I think. I agree. I mean, if you think about the frozen foods category, consumers typically perceive it to be less nutritious. Um, From a business standpoint, the supply chain is really expensive and complicated, Uh and there's no way in heck that you can ever make the economics work on a direct-to-consumer shipment basis. For sure. And I think right around that time also was when the meal kit system, all those brands that were out there that had, they had their day, but they were starting to actually crack and some of them completely crumbled right around the same time. Like Blue Apron was completely crumbling during that time. And You know, not only do you think about the fact that this frozen foods direct-to-consumer platform is probably implausible, Uh but the flip side is that she's actually crushing it at Daily Harvest. Business is thriving. And we learned all about that journey from her in New York, and you'll hear more about it now. So I started Daily Harvest when I realized I was really hangry. Um, (laughs) I was working at, at a company at the time and working really long hours. And what happened is it was like day after day after day where it was three o'clock and I hadn't eaten lunch and I would reach for stale birthday cake, um, a bag of nuts, and I would call it lunch because that's what my schedule allowed. Um, I knew better. I was a rower growing up. I knew all about health, wellness, nutrition, but it didn't matter. My, my schedule didn't allow for the food that I knew I wanted to what, consume. And what year was this? Um, this was 2014. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yep. It feels like yeah. a millennia <laughs> so long, ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it was that hangry moment where I was like, I know better, but I never have the time. So I, I have to solve this problem for myself. And you know what? If, if I'm having this problem, there are probably millions of other people out there who are having the same problem. And that was the case. So, so how did you take that first step? Yeah, so um, so what I did was I got myself a commercial kitchen in Long Island City. I also got myself a food handler's license because I literally had no idea how to make food. And I was like, that sounds like something I should do. H- how did you get that, by the way? What do, what do you, <laughs> yeah. how did you know I, you needed I, that? I, I didn't. Did you, did you I st- I'm still or? not sure, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I Googled it. I was like, what does one need to make food? Uh-huh. safe like I don't know and and I found this course so I signed up very cool um but before you went to a commercial kitchen did you have a an idea or concept other than 
that you're hangry? Like, did you know what type of food you wanted to make? Yeah. So, so when I, when I had this hangry moment, what I did was, um, I went home and I said, how, you know, how can I solve this? And I started thinking through what the problem was and what potential solutions could be. You know, I went right to my three, my freezer and I remembered my grandmother actually, um, I used to come home from my, my grandparents' house and I used to complain to my mom, mom, grandma's trying to feed me frozen peas and carrots. (laughs) She's trying to kill me. (laughs) And, you know, my grandmother would, would, you know, talk to my mother and be like, first of all, your daughter's crazy. Um, she's four. What is she talking about? Um, but you know, she would say it's actually healthier for you. Um, and she would always explain to me that no frozen is, is the best you can get. Um, I didn't believe her, but then I started doing research and I was like, no way. Um, frozen food is actually richer in nutrient content than the stuff that you buy in the grocery store. And this is something that the industrialization of food and the microwave dinner that, you know, quote unquote, um, innovated, like the way that we eat in America, um, which was actually killing us, um, was not what frozen could be. It's kind of, it was frozen food is like a hangover from a very dark time in our, in the history of food. And it's like, you know, let's process some corn, put some sugar in it and give you a little space age brownie. Um, like this is not food. And most people associate frozen food with dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets and frozen pizza. Like that's nuts because before the industrialization of food, frozen was actually the way that we preserved food. Um, without adding any preservatives, without processing it, without refining it. And um, because of the freezer aisle, I'm actually, um, I believe very strongly that the freezer aisle is like a really bad place. Um, And that's where... But it doesn't have to be. Well, it doesn't have to be. So people associated with the dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets, um, you ask people what's in their freezer at home, they'll usually say um, vodka, ice cream, and ice cubes. (laughs) Sometimes and di- breast and milk yeah. <laughs> like, and dino nuggets and dino nuggets. Right. It's crazy. But, you know, it's because of the format of the freezer. Aisle. You walk down that aisle and it's literally and figuratively a cold place. You walk down, you see, you know, glass reflecting. It's like terrible lighting. You know, if you open that door, you're going to get blasted with cold air. People are going to judge you for wasting energy. You close it up. It fogs over. It gets locked. Like this is why Hungry Man <laughs> exists in the freezer aisle. So I knew actually from my grandmother that frozen could be better. I started doing a ton of research and I was like, oh my gosh, if I can turn the freezer in every single kitchen into a pantry of the yep. good, clean food that you always wanted, that you never had time to eat, like this is a huge opportunity. And, and you know, that's when I had the insight and that was the aha moment that led me to getting a commercial kitchen in Long Island City and, and trying to turn this into a real business. And were you just doing this as a side hustle or yes. like, were you still had a full-time job and you were just doing all this research on your own? Yep, absolutely. Um, so I was working and on the weekends and at night, I would go to this commercial kitchen with employee number one, which was my right hand, and employee <laughs> number two, which was my left hand. Um, and I would literally buy fruits and vegetables from Trader Joe's. Yep. And put them in bags. It was so unappealing. I can't even tell you. Um, but I said, you know, if if people, if I'm really solving a problem and people are consuming it in this format, like my background was marketing. I could have spent so much time and money on the branding early on, but I was like, I'm not going to do that yet. I'm going to I'm going to be disciplined, and I'm going to see if I'm solving the problem first, and then I can worry about the fun stuff. Um, so I set a metric for myself and I said, once there were five times more people purchasing that I didn't know than those who I did, 
then I was going to quit my job and I was going to do it. And the reason why I set that metric was because um, I wanted to account for what I call the Rachel's mom effect. (laughs) Um, My mom would have called every one of her friends and been like, can you just buy this? I feel sad for my daughter. <laughs> like that's funny. I, I think I that's like an, that ratio. We're gonna to, we're, we're gonna start using that in our our investment screening. I'm sure it's <laughs> do, do five times. You know the the founders' parents. Yes. You know are well, people they it's, don't know buying the product. It's I like that. A business school metric. I, it's, <laughs> I like that. But it, it's like you know the Girl Scout cookies yeah. or the wrapping paper. Like absolutely. your parents make sure you sell that because oh, parents you're going to sell it through. Right now, as a parent, I'm like, no, you're going to be number one. Yeah, um, you're selling those Girl Scout cookies. Exactly. I'll see. Uh, I'll see you later tonight. <laughs> no, no dinner unless yeah. you sell out all that's, of them. That's right. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to account for that. And I wanted, if I was going to quit my job, I wanted to make sure that this was actually solving that problem. So it happened really quickly. It happened in, um, I think, eight weeks, if I remember correctly, which is nuts. And What I, was the initial product that you were selling? <laughs> it was smoothies. That you, yeah. And but. the idea, the reason I started with smoothies was because it was something that felt like, one, people would understand it. And two, that it was something that was really habitual. So I wanted to prove that I could really make a habit out of going to your freezer. Uh-huh. And people loved it. I and mean, ha- it was crazy. And how'd you get the word out? So how did you find these? All word of mouth. Interesting. Okay. All word of mouth. And that's actually why that metric was so powerful, because I wanted to make absolutely sure that there was that, that word of mouth effect. For me, if I had to spend money, you know, like force feeding people something, literally and figuratively, um, then this wasn't a quit my job idea. And how did they get the product initially? So these, these people who found out through word of mouth. Yeah. So um, after I bagged everything up in this commercial kitchen that I had purchased at Trader Joe's, <laughs> um, there was a dry ice like manufacturer a few blocks away. And I got in my car and I would go pick up dry ice and I would you know, take these little gross looking bags and I would put them in the dry ice and then I would deliver them all over Manhattan. And it started in New York only. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then... did. What, did the company have a name at this point? Daily Harvest. So how did you come up with the with the brand name? Yeah, so um, as I said before, the reason I started with smoothies is because I wanted this to be something habitual. I knew that I was trying to change a behavior. I was trying to change an association, basically deprogram people from what they thought Frozen was. And it was really important to me that that daily ritual was part of the name. Um, and then Harvest, because I think that, that it kind of counteracts the... Um, the association that people have with processed food and really like when you open a cup of daily harvest all you see are fruits and vegetables so the name kind of lets people know what they're going to find and it's a way to eat real processed unrefined whole food clean ingredients every single day so it is a daily harvest from your freezer and then how did you how did you scale it from there from delivering it yourself around manhattan and bagging yeah. it <laughs> You know, outside go, of your go, two employees, go, going to Trader oh Joe's, your two employees of right hand and yeah. left hand. Yeah. Um, well, what's funny is I was also very pregnant, oh, wow. um, so it got to a, two extra hands. Exactly, it doesn't work that way. Exactly. Oh, does it? <laughs> Interesting, Robin. Yeah. Thank you for the insight. Hey, you know, it's been six months. I'm a pro. <laughs> Clearly, congratulations. Um, but it got to a point where I was like, I cannot hop in and out of this car anymore. So I actually hired my nephews. Um, who were in high school at the time, and I was like, "All right, guys, we got to divide and conquer here." For the record, totally legal. Everything yeah. above board. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, they were they were old enough to babysit. Like, <laughs> it's interesting when she said nephews. I I I 
I imagine like five or six years. So she, she had to clarify high school. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, so. yes, yes, I have much older sisters. Yeah. Um, but, you know, from there, it was, uh, I was still bootstrapping the business. Yep. I was, you know, just growing organically off of, you know, the money that I was, um, the money that people were paying me. Yeah. And, um, what I what I wanted to do before I actually raised money, because I was a little shy about raising money in the beginning, um, I had been in a, you know, less than stellar VC environment before starting Daily Harvest. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, I'm not sure I want this. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, so I really wanted to bring the idea as far as it could without raising money. So I decided I had to figure out how to make this super scalable. Um, so first I attacked the East Coast. Uh, actually northeast only and um, I looked into packaging that would allow me to ship via third-party carrier Um, I wanted it to be super sustainable so actually today still if you open our liners they're made out of recycled jeans they're blue (laughs) they're really cool Uh, but all of that was super important for me from the beginning and it honestly hasn't evolved that much like I figured out the scalable solution early on um, because I knew that if this was actually going to be a real business it had to be scalable Um, so started um, looking for a place to get a little help other than you know just myself making the food Uh, found a found you know some friendly folks who um, you know were going to help me figure out how to actually do this at scale and um, started delivering to the entire northeast using I think it was FedEx at the time did you find a contract manufacturer at this point, or were you still? No, everything was we still, made by ourselves. Still, still hand, still making it on your own. Yes, but having other. But nep- nephews, and Nephew, yeah, at yeah. all cousins, cousins. You know. <laughs> That's right. Did you, I just needed a bigger facility. Yeah. Did you lean on anybody who'd had more experience in the food space at that point? Like, were, were there were there folks that you were going to for advice? You know, it, it's funny. Everybody is, who I spoke to in the food space. Um, didn't really get what I was trying to do and basically told me I was missing a chip. Um, Which part? Sh- f- shipping frozen Everything. Food? They were like, you can't do this. So I stopped talking to people yeah. who knew what they were doing. Uh-huh. This was definitely like an ignorance, like helped me here. Because <laughs> right. I was like, what do you mean I can't do it? Of course I can do it. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, having, having this ignorance and just being like, no, I'm, I'm just going to, figure it out. I'm going to make it happen. Uh, was actually super powerful here. Um, and you know, built things in a super like janky way, but it was, it was kind of like a fake it till you make it right. scenario, which like, as I said, I started with Trader Joe's. Like yep. I know eventually I wanted to partner with farmers, but like what partner was going to, what farmer was going to give me like right. a pound of, of like carrots. <laughs> it just yeah. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, so scaled to the Northeast. And then at that point, what I realized was that I was really choking off growth. Um, there was so much interest from outside of, you know, the tri-state area that I, I had to, to move faster. So um, from there, I raised money. We raised a small seed round and I expanded first to the entire um, East Coast, then moved to the West Coast. Um, and then the last piece of the puzzle was Central. So um, by August, actually September 2016, we had launched nationally. Got what it. was the size of the business by that point in terms of employees? So <laughs> four. Oh my gosh! <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that's including people in the in the quote unquote plant that that were making the food, or did you no. transition out no, of no, that no. at like that point? Corporate. Got it. Yeah, but it. I mean, so I say that, but we were actually also making the food. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Was it hard? You know, one of the things that comes up a lot in our 
you know, in our our journeys of speaking with entrepreneurs is the third party network of of getting the warehousing, logistics, shipping. Yep. How did you find these folks to help you be able to 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 create national scale in shipping frozen foods? Yeah. So uh, when I started, uh, the only person that was doing frozen pick and pack was Omaha Steaks. Yep. It just didn't exist there. Um, it didn't exist. So what I had to do was to figure out how to get facilities up and running. So um, what I did is I actually partnered with cold storage facilities. Cold storage facilities had a, had like extra capacity. They had a lot of overhead. The incentives were all there for them to be interested in new business lines. Um, so I said, hey, I'm going to bring in an expert, which I had hired at that point, um, in pick and pack logistics. And we are going to use your space. We're going to rent it. Um, and we're going to use those facilities to to create frozen pick and pack. And that's what we did. And do you, have you used a similar network yeah, today same, as, you, as you did when you facilities. when you first started? Yep, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. part of it is you nailed it. You nailed the infrastructure yep. right from the beginning in order, to, and you just keep flowing more more volume through there. Of course, so yeah. I mean, I find a lot of people come to me and they're like really focused on the brand and they're really focused on on like the things that are so expensive. And as a marketer, it was really painful for me to like look at something that wasn't super beautiful. Um, but I was like, that's not the important piece right now. Like if I'm if I'm solving a need, people are going to buy this, whether or not it looks beautiful or not. Uh, what I really needed to focus on was scalable logistics, scalable, um, you know, operations in general. So I focused there first. And then once I had all of that set, I was like, all right, now I can focus on the fun stuff. So as you as you were scaling, you know, frozen smoothies nationally, what was a any any major hiccups along the way of of I mean, how do you scale of of scaling a frozen direct to consumer business? So many, <laughs> like, so many. I mean, what, what what was one of the first ones that came up that, yeah. that were 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 you know your where people were were maybe were you considered even stopping? Oh, there were many times. I still they still happen. Yeah. Um, but one of the one one of the moments that really sticks out was when we launched on the West Coast. Um, so we had sent this big frozen reefer truck from the East Coast to the West Coast. I actually have a picture of it. It's hilarious. It's this huge truck and there's one pallet inside. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Oh my gosh. Um, and what a glorious, what a glorious <laughs> single pallet. I know. It's I hilarious. Mean. It's actually hilarious. Um, and what we what we did is our plan was to park that outside of a facility because the facility hadn't opened yet. But I needed to get the show on the road on the West Coast because I had already launched the site to the West Coast. And I was like, oh, like people are purchasing it. I have to deliver it. What am I going to do? Um, the facility was slow. Like the flow racking was was late. I don't it was like a disaster. So I sent this truck to the West Coast and I was like, all right, just just like stay there and we'll do fulfillment out of this truck. It made so much sense to me. Turns out frozen trucks aren't super reliable. Yeah. Um, so you have to remember at this point, like it, w- there were four of us and we were making all of that food. We had, you know, we were hiring some some like hourly labor to, to like help us make it on on like high production days. Um, but it was mostly us. So every single box of Daily Harvest was so precious. Um, and the in the middle of the night, I get this text message because I'd put one of those like text message alarms right. on it just yep. in case. And I get a text message and the alarm goes off and it's like it's like 60 degrees in the truck. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
what do I do? Getting slushy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm trying to reach somebody who's on the West Coast. I'm in New York. Yeah. Um, I have like a newborn. Um, and I'm trying to reach somebody and nobody's picking up. And I'm just like, I know the time, like time is ticking. Um, and by the time I reached somebody, it was all gone. Um, so we actually ended up filling those first orders, overnighting them from New York, um, which if anybody knows something about overnighting wow. big boxes, it's yes. like $150 yeah. per box. Um, so it was very painful. Uh, but, you know, a week later we had another truck on its way and we had no choice but to like do the same thing, but just like cross our toes and fingers. Uh, and that's what we did. And the second did, time it worked. And when did you start scaling up your team? So, you know, you, you mentioned four, four people a number of times. When did it ramp up from there? Yeah. So, um, so from past experiences, I really believe in capital efficiency. So I never wanted to hire 50 people that, that we like, love that. <laughs> it gets us all jazzed up when we hear entrepreneurs <laughs> talk about capital efficiency. Keep going, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we usually have to turn Wayne's mic off at this point because he's going to go and get on his soapbox and talk about how amazing that is. <laughs> so do, do tell, Rachel. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'd seen it. I'd seen the rise of a, like a very fast-paced e-commerce business, and then I saw a bunch of my friends get fired and it was something that that like really stuck with me so you know capital efficiency not just from an infrastructure perspective but also from you know a um, team perspective was super important to me so we still to this day like we could always use more people um, but you know at the time we were four um, and I'd say about a year in we got up to 12 which mm -hmm. still felt crazy um, but you know those early team members were incredible they were those the type of people that are like jack of all trades um, and they could wear multiple ha hats and everybody was super passionate and super invested in what we were doing um, so you know it, it almost didn't feel like work um, you know we were flying all over the country trying to figure out how to like create this thing that didn't exist. And, um, you know, we've grown very slowly on the, on the team side. Um, and it's actually something I'm pretty proud of. And then related to that, you know, I assume that you weren't able to just go with word of mouth for customer acquisition all the way. Have there been a couple channels that have been particularly powerful for daily harvest? Yeah. So we did go word of mouth for quite some time. Um, and then, you know, when you're raising money, investors want to see what happens when you start putting money to work because they want to know how scalable um, beyond word of mouth the business can be. And they also want to make sure that you can acquire customers efficiently. So, you know, knowing that I had to prove those points out, um, you know, we started on Instagram. It's nothing. Um, it's not rocket science, but what? you eat with your eyes first. So, you know, Instagram is synonymous with food porn. Um, yeah. Yeah. so, you know, starting there made a lot of sense for us. And we also found that people loved Instagram daily harvest. They loved to talk about, you know, what milk they added or what protein they added. And, um, this kind of became the beginnings of what we've seen as a virtuous marketing cycle where, um, you know, somebody new gets daily harvest and they share it immediately on Instagram because they're excited about how they kind of personalized it and made it their own. Um, but we started on Instagram for that reason. And, um, you know, Facebook is is wonderful, but it's also terrible. Like, right. I, I, don't, I never liked the idea of kind of being beholden to another business yep. for my own success. Um, so, you know, we we leaned in even harder on word of mouth and, and 
thought about ways that we can incentivize people to evangelize. Um, you know, and we also have at this point we've we've kind of gone to all of the marketing channels. Right. Yeah. Um, that is my background. So, yep. you know, that is something that I, I understand understood and understand quite quite well. But um, you know, podcasts, YouTube, uh, we've recently gone into TV, terrestrial radio, um, and you know, each channel has its own quirks. Um, but you know, for me, the most important thing is being disciplined with them. So if if you have a theme, um, if you want to like write a little synopsis of today's episode, I yeah. would say like discipline is, is kind of always been my mantra. Um, but when it comes to opening a new marketing channel, what we do is we actually um, a portion of our marketing budget is siloed for uh, experimentation. Mm -hmm. And that is the the only amount that we will use to work on a new channel. So we introduce one channel at a time. Um, because any new marketing channel is totally inefficient. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And you have to optimize it and you have to like really kind of grind on it a little while to understand like what the right creative is, what the right messaging is, what the right targeting is. Um, and you know, once we kind of hit scale and, and hit efficiency with a marketing channel, that's when we kind of bring it into the mothership and scale it. So, um, is there a metric that, that you look at like yeah. five, five times, uh, <laughs> five hopefully your your mom's not involved in in that particular channel i mean anymore. she wishes um but she, she leads up performance marketing you didn't know that <laughs> that's right and you know it's one of the nephews yeah yeah exactly. exactly my mother is actually still chief evangelizer um we just had a, a big company retreat and she saw that um she that, is head of growth yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that everybody had a fanny pack and she called me right away she's like um i don't have a fanny pack i'm very upset about this <laughs> so the metric that that we actually use is about roi and we're very disciplined about it mm -hmm. um so you know we kind of look at um at 3x is is like a minimum roi that you want to have on any spend but we we really aspire for higher than that um so we look at like 4.5 to 5 5x um and for those of you who don't know you know roi is calculated by taking your cac and dividing dividing it by your ltv I'm going to say that differently. It's by taking your LTV and dividing <laughs> it by your cash. Yep. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of take that number. And if if it comes out to, like, above three, hopefully closer to five, then you're in good shape. And we're always super disciplined about our marketing spend. So if a channel doesn't hit scale um, or hit efficiency in a reasonable amount of time, and we just feel like that ROI um, – measure is is not in the cards then we cut it off you guys just move on yep i'm curious so um I, I know you've had to sort of be a jack of all trades across multiple functions but for something like this sort of optimizing you know channels is that something that you worked with agencies on is that something that you felt like you needed your own muscle for how did you think about that yeah so um early days we were doing it all ourselves just to to kind of like prove out that we could and then, then we definitely went to agencies and we cycled through a ton of them. Um, but at a certain scale, at a certain spend, it makes more sense to hire it in-house. So um, we kind of went back that way. We hired an incredibly talented person to lead our growth marketing, performance marketing. Um, and now we have a team of about 12 people. Gotcha. And how do you think about retention? I mean, obviously, you've you talked a lot about acquisition. Yep. You know, I, it, it's it's been... You know, it's been it's been fun to watch as as your investor, just the how sticky your consumer base is. How have you 
what what's made it so special and talk us talk to us about a little bit about your retention strategy yeah absolutely so it's really about um you know one creating something that people actually want need because ultimately there's only so much that you can do to convince somebody that they need something if they don't really need it um you know how do you make the spend on whatever you're selling non-discretionary um, and, you know, it comes back to that metric that we talked about super early on, where if people are talking about it, if people are so excited about it, that's one of the proof points for stickiness in my mind. Um, so, you know, we do think a lot about a lot about retention and how can we optimize the customer experience? How can we just make every interaction with Daily Harvest not feel like work? So one mm-hmm. of the things that I often say to my team is if somebody's talking about Daily Harvest, a Um, in any way except for I love this brand we've done something very wrong if people are talking about our app if people are talking about our marketing if people are talking about um, our packaging like that's because we did something wrong every single interaction should be I love daily harvest and they shouldn't it should all come together to just create this like emotional pull Um, And that's really how how we've been able to retain customers by, um, you know, I started my career at Four Seasons Hotels uh, and it is a hospitality business. Uh But for me, hospitality and marketing are are kind of the same thing. It's like the perspective from which we think about marketing. And, you know, I talk about this with my team all the time and and everybody's kind of drank the smoothies at this point. (laughs) Um, Drunk the smoothies whatever. Uh, but it's really about, you know, how do you anticipate needs? Um, how do you exceed expectations as opposed to doing the bare minimum? That makes sense. And then how do you think about it from a product standpoint as you've, because you have this very loyal consumer base, how have you moved beyond smoothies? Yeah. So the goal was always to create this, you know, self-replenishing pantry out of the freezer. And, um, you know, once once I had felt once I felt like I had proven that we were able to form habits and daily rituals around drinking smoothies, then, you know, very quickly it was time to expand because I never wanted to be known as a smoothie business. That's not what we were creating. Um, so, you know, we launched harvest bowls, overnight oats, chia parfaits, soups, um, cookies, lattes. We have a, a ton of stuff now that, uh, you know, kind of thinks that. We have a ton of collections now that really bring people through multiple day parts, um, multiple taste profiles. And the idea is if if we're really going to personalize this pantry, um, we also want to make it self-replenishing. Um, you know, how do we use the data that we collect? How do we use the one-to-one customer relationship that we have? Because we're not in stores. Yep. We actually have a direct line to our customers. and We talk to them mm-hmm. all of the time. Um, so we've been able to create collections with them, um, which has been super powerful. So instead of, you know, like a traditional CPG, um, spending months on R&D and focus groups and then having to, like, build a ton of inventory in stores, what we're actually able to do is, you know, first of all, we get an insight right away. It's not even an insight. It's like it's our customers are like, hey, we need this. Um, And we've built this relationship where when they tell us they want something, we're able to turn it back to them really quickly. So we have a six to eight week innovation cycle, which is something that we're super proud of. And we've built a responsive supply chain that's able to respond to customer needs. Um, So once we launch something, it, it, you know, goes out into the world. And then we talk to our customers and we say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Um, and if somebody says, oh, well, it's a little too salty, you know what? Three weeks later, four weeks later, 
we take down the salt. Yep. It's not like, you know, in traditional CBG right. where you have it takes a year to millions yeah. turn it around. Of, it takes a year and you've got yeah. millions of dollars in inventory. So right. by the time, you know, a, a traditional CPG like gets their insight, which is usually six months after an early right. adopter has like already forsaken it. Um, you know, we've already iterated on it six times. And what happens is that our evangelists, our early adopters actually market it for us because of our virtuous marketing cycle. I mean, and you brought up the concept of retail. Have you mm-hmm. considered retail for Daily Harvest? So, you know, as I said, I really believe the freezer aisle is is a terrible place to discover new foods. People want transparency today with their foods, and the freezer aisle is the antithesis of that. Um, so, you know, traditional traditional retail is probably not in our near future. And in, in the future, how do you think about, you know, Daily Harvest from a, a personal standpoint for the company? Do you feel like... It's something that will eventually get bought by a big CPG company because they need to do better. Do you think it'll be an IPO candidate? How do you think about about that in the future? Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, we focus on creating a really incredible, sustainable business that is, you know, a good business model um, that can support itself. And that's kind of how we think about about growth. Like we have a mission. We want to make sure that, you know, people who are busy and eat food, um, (laughs) have good options. Um, so, you know, that's, that's top of mind for us. And then after that, um, you know, our, our thinking is that, you know, we, we kind of want to be able to write our own destiny. Mm -hmm. So we are doing all the things in the background so that we have, we maintain optionality. Got it. Right after the break, we'll be back with our featured guest, Rachel Drury. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. Subscribe for free in your podcast app of choice and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com. Follow us on our Unfinished Biz LinkedIn page and we'll keep you up to date on everything that's new. And if you love the show, we'd love an iTunes review. But now let's get back to our episode with Daily Harvest founder and CEO, Rachel Drury. So have you had a bet the company moment yet? Of course I have. I've had many of them. <laughs> Anyone in particular that comes to mind? Yeah. So um, we actually skirted past it before. So it's a perfect, um, it's, it's perfect subject. Uh-huh. Uh, but so when I decided to go outside of smoothies, which was always the vision, um, I had an early investor who put his foot down and he was like, smoothies are going so well. You're going to kill it. You're going to break it. Like, just stick with smoothies. And I was like, I'm sorry. This is not the vision that I had. This is not what you signed up for. I do not believe that Daily Harvest is a smoothie business. Like, when you wrote me that check, we we had, we had an understanding. Yeah. Um, so I basically, you know, I, I said that, um, you know, he needed to trust me. But if I had gotten that wrong... I would have never heard the end of it. And, you know, he could have pulled his capital. I mean, there's all sorts of things that that could have happened if that went wrong. He could have been right. He could have, you know, people didn't want to give us permission to to explore other collections. Right. Um, How did you have that conviction that, hey, this is this was the right thing to do? Yeah. I mean, it was scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the vision. And and I I just knew. Right. I, I don't know. Like like my gut, gut everything, yeah. everything in my um, in my bones said that, you know, this was the original vision. You had a reason for creating this. This was never meant to be a smoothie business. And like you would have, you ready for this unfinished business. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> nice. If you didn't take this chance. I mean, it, it seems like there's been many high points in this journey. Is there one that really stands out? Um, I would say hitting our millionth 
um, box was a huge moment for us. Nice. Um, there was just something about the magnitude of that number where I was like, wait, what? <laughs> What's happening? Pinch me. Um, it was it was huge. And, you know, that's actually when we started seeing at Daily Harvest all over the place. So I would walk down the street and I would see, like, you know, people drinking it or I'd be on the subway and I would be like, oh. Really <laughs> do you still remember the first time you saw it in real life or I just in the wild? Absolutely do. And I, I followed the person for three blocks. Not creepy. <laughs> Not creepy at all. <laughs> trying to figure out what I would say to them. Uh-huh. And yeah. eventually the person stopped at a light and I was like, what do you think about that? I've been thinking about ordering it. Uh-huh. And they were like, oh, it's fantastic. It's such a game changer. And I was like, okay, thanks. That's, Have a good day. <laughs> that's so I'm on to something. I'm sure that like that can that's propel f- propel you for a while. Like, Absolutely. Just that, that's amazing. I took like six pictures of the person <laughs> and sent it to my whole team. <laughs> so creepy. That's awesome. <laughs> From different angles. Yeah. They're like, oh, look. They're like, oh, there's that same woman. Now she's wearing a mustache. <laughs> so <laughs> Super that, creepy. That doesn't look suspicious at all. That's right. <laughs> on the flip side, is there a particular low point? A low point? That, that stands out in your mind? I mean, I think that, that the low point was really when that reefer um, just kind of conked out on us. Yeah. I was so excited about yeah. expanding to the West Coast, and it was just like, wah, wah. At this point, are there things that keep you up at night? I mean, the state of the food industry. Yeah. I can't tell you how terrifying it is to me that, like, people are, are hyper-refining things like cauliflower and putting them in pretzels. Like, like, just eat the. Fu- Sorry. No, <laughs> you don't, don't, don't just, just say it. Just say just it. Just eat the fucking cauliflower. Yeah. Like, what is happening? Yeah. Um. It. It's just like we're tricking ourselves into thinking that oh, we're eating more plants. I'm like, well, guess what? Wheat is a plant. We know that refined white flour is not good for us. So why do you think that hyper refined cauliflower right. is any different? Do you know how processed that is? The state of the food industry. The word healthy. The word natural. It just upsets me at such like a deep level that that people are being health washed sorry that there's so much health washing that people have no idea what's good for them anymore um you know so that's why we're so um particular about the ingredients that go into every single thing that we make like all food is not created equal um and you know what i always say is if there's one person who you want like doing that research, it's probably me because if you're eating halibut next to me, I will tell you that it's high <laughs> in mercury. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it keeps me up all the time when, when people are like, oh, but I ate it. I, you know, my pretzel had cauliflower in it. And I'm like, please stop. <laughs> you're like, but why? Yeah, why? that's right. That's right. Robin, what I really love about this story, it's truly about hustle. And sure. for Rachel, it started at the beginning. You know, how she really beta tested the business by buying frozen fruits and vegetables at Trader Joe's. <laughs> That's right. Packing them up, putting them in cups, and selling them around the city. And even the way that she actually built up what is now a very complicated supply chain. I mean, she really did that truck by truck on her own. And honestly, she learned failure by failure, right? I think it was it was one where it was, it was a hard thing to learn, but she, she kind of pieced it all together herself. And now she has a successful network of supply chain that really she can leverage. And for her, she doesn't even have to see retail as a near-term opportunity because she's going to continue to fully leverage what she's built on a direct-to-consumer basis. Mm-hmm. And for her... 
food isn't just about business. That's her whole personal life as well. That's you right. know, wrapping great food along with a happy and healthy family. That's her, that's her life outside the office as well. Um, so I have two little boys yeah. who are How old? super cute. They're two and four. Wow. Great ages. And they're little monkeys. And I just love spending time with them. All right, Rachel. The moment we've all been waiting for. Our Dumb signature home. rapid <laughs> fire game. 60 seconds. First thing that comes to mind. Don't don't dwell on a question. Just keep moving. I'm scared. You ready? <laughs> all right, let's go. They're looking at me very seriously I know. right now. This is a very serious game. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. What's your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. Top of your bucket list? Um, Karakoram Highway. Would you rather be able to speak to any animal or speak in a foreign language? Foreign language. Favorite book? Um, we love uh, Dr. Seuss. Oh, no, I don't, I don't know. Dr. Seuss creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> that, that's very controversial. Um, I think my favorite book right now is probably Little Blue Truck. Morning Person or Night Owl? <laughs> Definitely a Night Owl. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, having multiple versions of myself to be able to be a mom and an entrepreneur and everything at the same time. Read a book or watch a movie? Uh, definitely read a book. High five or fist bump? Uh, fist bump. If you can only eat one type of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Chocolate. <laughs> What's your favorite consumer brand that's not your own? I gotta say Glossier. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? An entrepreneur. Who's your celebrity crush? So many. <laughs> um, I've always had a thing for Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so weird. Awesome. Favorite way to unwind after a long day? Um, hugging my kids. Any pet peeves? Yes. When people say the word employee, it bothers me so much. What was your first job? Uh, working at Four Seasons Hotels. All right. Very last question. What advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, I would say that if this were easy, everyone would do it. And you kind of have to remind yourself every day when there are, you know, low lows and high highs that, um, you know, you, you've just got to focus and, and try and stay centered and, and, you know, not let the high highs and the low lows distract you from, from what you're trying to achieve. That's great advice. Rachel, thanks for joining us on Unfinished Biz. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. These are the opinions of Robin and Wayne and our guest entrepreneur and are not necessarily the opinions and thoughts of VMG partners. And now a word from our lawyers. This is not an offer to buy or sell any investments. Entrepreneurs interviewed on this podcast may not be associated with VMG businesses and discussions of their companies should not be viewed as an endorsement by VMG.